Welcome to the Live Nourish podcast. I'm your host, Katarina Greer. I'm a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and the founder of LiveNourish.co, where you can find my blog, recipes, and services. On this podcast, I chat about all things health and wellness related to help you live a nourished life. Remember, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice. It is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now let's get started. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Live Nourish podcast. Hope you're all having a great day so far. In Victoria, here on the West Coast, it is sunny and I'm loving it because if you live on the West Coast, you know how just rainy and dreary it gets, but when the sun comes out, everyone goes out and enjoys it. So yeah, I have been enjoying it for the past couple of days. But on today's episode, I'm really excited to have on Holly. She is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and a restorative wellness practitioner. And we just honestly had such a, like, just really great conversation about ancestral eating, which I know can sound just, like, complicated. It sounds like we're putting, like, a name, like, on a, like, it's like a diet. But believe me, it's not. It's simple and she just really explains it well. And then we also talked about why removing certain foods like lunar dairy just won't actually get to the root problem of digestive issues. And then we talked about healing diets and how sometimes they can just cause more stress to the body. And then we ended it off with talking about her favorite gut healing foods. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, Holly. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So could you just tell everyone just a little bit about yourself and what you currently do? Yeah, so I'm about to turn 30. Um, (laughs) I am from Michigan. I am an NTP um, and I run my own virtual practice. So I just work for my home. I'm also a new mom. I had a baby boy about he just turned 10 months old, so I shouldn't say I'm new anymore, but he's still a baby. So yeah, I've grown up in Michigan. I grew up on a farm and I've kind of just been here my whole life. And um, that's about that's about it, I guess. Yeah, that's so cool. I didn't know that you grew up on a farm. So do you still live on yeah. it or no? I don't. Um, I grew up on a very like large farm um, where my dad grew mostly like cash crops, so like corn. Um soybeans stuff like that (laughs) um so it wasn't necessarily like a farm that a lot of people think of like that we were like growing our own food and had our own animals and stuff like that it was more so of like a larger scale farm that I grew up on but he would always have like a little organic garden and stuff that we would um kind of grow our own things out of that and then we I grew up with some animals here and there but um not something that I live on anymore I live about three hours away but I would love to someday have my own farm definitely kind of like a different type of farm but he's taught me a lot about just like growing things and I've seen how it works to farm with animals and stuff like that my brother has a smaller um, cattle farm too that's on that same farm Um, so I've seen a lot of that and I would love to do something like that eventually it's kind of a dream of ours Um, we're not there yet but I would love Mm -hmm. to get back there that's so cool though that like yeah yeah I feel like I don't know many people that have actually grown up on a farm. 
but yeah, yeah it was fun it was very fun um so I yeah I love just like being outside and doing like very different things I feel like than a lot of girls I would say grow up doing um mm-hmm. I love to like go four-wheeling in the mud and stuff like that and running through like irrigations and cornfields and stuff that was it was a lot of fun um so very different but I very much enjoyed it yeah that's cool so how did you get into nutrition and what made you want to study so originally when I was in college I grew up I grew up with a pretty um unhealthy just lifestyle I guess as like a child slash teenager and even like entering college like my first year or so and then when I got to be I think either a sophomore or junior in college I got really into um I just wanted to start to feel better and I started gradually kind of changing what I was eating and I didn't really know what I was doing at all but I was trying to just eat some like more whole foods learn how to cook vegetables because I really didn't I knew how to do like a lot of baking, but in terms of like healthy cooking, whole foods, I didn't really know how to do that. So I just experimented a lot. I ended up loving that kind of stuff. And I was very, very interested in nutrition um, all of a sudden. And then I got really involved in CrossFit when I graduated college. Um, And that kind of, they're very aligned with like the paleo world. Mm -hmm. So then I really, um, I started following like Julie Bauer, who is, she um, runs paleo MG and she was really Mm -hmm. into CrossFit too. And that's really what kind of like paved my way, I guess, into kind of exploring a whole food nutrient dense diet. I just learned so much with doing that, even though I don't necessarily follow like a paleo diet per se, that was kind of just where I started. And then shortly after I graduated college, I was actually diagnosed with MS. So Mm -hmm. I, um, really from there I had started to learn a lot about food and like side effects of like prescription medicine and stuff like that I really did a lot of research through that and I came across the walls protocol who I know she's been kind of involved with the NTA a little bit which is awesome Mm -hmm. when I saw her like speaking at their um annual meetings not positive what they call them but they have like their annual events um And I was really excited when I saw her speaking and I was actually supposed to go to that, but it was right when COVID happened. So I didn't get to go. So I ended up following the walls protocol and for a little bit, not, it's not something that I still really follow a whole lot, but I learned a lot through her. And then I, when I got diagnosed with MS, I really transitioned what I was doing with my career. So I had graduated from college with a degree in elementary education. Mm-hmm. And I knew when I was about a junior, the end of my junior year, that I did not want to be a teacher. So I had plans to go to grad school because I was so far into my program. I was like, I don't really want to start a whole new major right now when I only have a year left. So I was going to get my undergrad and then go to grad school for more just like business, um, business and HR type stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was diagnosed with MS um, in September and I was taking like my entrance exams for um, grad school and stuff like that and my doctors were just like you know stress is a huge factor with autoimmune disease and MS in general we don't if it were me I don't necessarily think I would be starting this like grad school avenue right now so I really had to take a step back and think what I was going to do so I was like you know I really don't want to be a teacher I had, since I wasn't planning on being a teacher, I didn't prepare for any of my um, education exams that would have 
got me qualified to be a teacher. So I had to reevaluate what I wanted to do. So I was like, I'm going to do hair. So I went to hair school right after that. And I did hair for a couple of years. And then my health, I hair stressed me out so much. Props to any hairdressers who are listening to this. This is that's an extremely hard career that they don't get enough credit for. It's Plus, very, like, very you're hard. you're on your feet like all day, right? To like yeah, you don't get any it's, breaks. And what was that? You don't get like any breaks, do you? Really? Um, it kind of depends on how your schedule is. It I had breaks, but it was more so um the just like working are... working on a person and the pre- pressure to do mm-hmm. something that they had very high expectations for that their hair might possibly do when they come to you with blue and orange hair and they want platinum blonde hair that day. That's very hard. And people really care about their hair. And yeah, it was very stressful. And I was so incredibly stressed. I wasn't sleeping. I was new in this career and I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So I was so worried about being perfect all the time. Um, It really had a negative impact on my health. So I ended up um, having a stem cell transplant. Um, for my MS, which essentially gave me like a whole new immune system. And Mm -hmm. I will say I no longer have any type of MS symptoms at all. I don't really even, I'm almost to the point where I kind of forget that I have it. I don't necessarily like really identify with it, I would say anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that transplant, I had to quit my job because it was such a big part. It was, I mean, I couldn't do anything for a year. I got a new immune system. I wasn't even really allowed to be around a whole lot of people, um, mm-hmm. just because I was so susceptible of getting sick. Um, so that's when I kind of explored the NTA because I was like, I do not like doing hair. I don't want to go back to this after taking a year off. So I just decided that it was time to do something that I actually really loved. And food has always been there for me since I kind of discovered nutrition. So I went through the NTA in 2019, probably the exact same time you did. Um, And then from there, I've just been doing it ever since. I absolutely love it. And that's kind of what led me to be here. Wow. That's so cool. I didn't know that you had MS and that you, so with MS, you can get like a stem cell transplant. Like that's an option. So it is actually not something that is, it's really hard to get. I know a few people that had had it and had really had a ton of success with it. Um, I honestly don't know if I would do it again, if I had the opportunity, just because knowing what I know now about how our body works and nutrition and just autoimmunity in general, I wish I would have gave the natural route a little bit more of a try, even though I really was trying, like I was kind of, I didn't even know NTPs existed or people like us existed. I didn't know who could help me out there. So I was doing things on my own. Um, and I was kind of just at the point where my, my family was like, you know, like, we really think you need to do this. My husband was really, I really think you need to do this. And I didn't really feel like I had a lot of people in my corner to explore things more naturally first. Um, it's a scary thing. Like MS is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I did. So it is an, it's an option. And in some countries, not necessarily the U.S., it's more widely used. Um, in the U.S., they really push prescription meds so the FDA won't approve it um, because it's kind of like a one-time thing. Like you do this mm-hmm. transplant and you're done. You don't, you're not on any medicine or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an option. It's just hard to do. And my doctor actually, um, he did some, I don't know if you're familiar with Selma Blair, but he did her transplant right after me. Um, she's an, she's like a pretty famous actress in the U S but she, after 
I would say like a year after year or two after I got mine done, he quit doing it. And he was, I believe the only doctor in the U S that does it. Wow. Um, so he quit doing it to kind of teach it from what I know to teach other hospitals, how to do it and implement it because he's been having so much success about it or with it. So yes, it's an option, but it's just pretty hard. It's not very accessible, which is right. unfortunate for those that want that. So could you just talk about ancestral eating since I know that is like one of like your main focus focuses and just like explain like what that is for like those that don't know. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, so it's just eating like what our ancestors ate, what um, our great, great grandparents ate before there was all of this invented foods, I guess it's like, or food like products that came on the market. Um, eating a whole food nutrient dense diet that is very, very minimally processed. And I put that on my Instagram and then I kind of just ran with it because I felt like I was having so many people kind of like, not question, but just curious about what exactly is this thing about drinking raw milk and eating a bunch of red meat and stuff. People were very confused. So I needed something to describe it. And that was the best way I could sum that up, I guess, in a few short words. Um, so it's really just eating like our past ancestors did. And um, I really, with with going through the NTA, we learn about a, like Weston Price mm -hmm. and a lot of that kind of what he teaches aligns with that ancestral eating and how I approach nutrition. And that's essentially like what the walls protocol kind of was that I followed when I got diagnosed with MS. And I just believe that nature doesn't make bad foods and we're really meant to consume whole foods that we've been eating since the beginning of the time rather than these new trendy foods that have been invented in the past like hundred or so years. Yeah. I think that I just like, yeah, just how it like says it like in your bio, like ancestral eating, because it, I think it makes people think more like yeah. not just like paleo or AIP or like whatever diets there are out there, but it's just like, like you said, like going back to like the way we were like meant to eat before the processed foods like came into yeah. play. Absolutely. And I really try to avoid any type of putting any type of like a trendy label yeah. on the foods that I'm eating and trying to make everything fit into a category. So I really didn't want to have anything like that when people came to my page and when they thought of me, I really just really think it's so important to just eat whole real foods. And that's the best way I can describe it. For sure. Uh, so could you explain why removing certain foods like gluten or dairy won't actually like get to like the root problem or like of like people's like digestive issues? Yeah, absolutely. So full disclosure, when I do work with clients, there are times that I say, you know what, I think you're reacting to dairy. I think this is a great thing for you to remove. And a lot of people that I see are coming to me with chronic digestive dysfunction. So I do take gluten out of the picture, at least yeah. for a time. However, simply removing foods is not going to solve the problem. Foods can definitely kind of impact or stall or slow what we're doing, but simply removing foods is not going to do things like optimizing your gut train. It's not going to increase stomach acid. It's not going to increase your microbiome. It's most likely not going to increase like motility rate and all of those things that our gut needs to do to function properly and our body needs to function properly. But there are foods that can definitely be 
kind of make you backtrack, I guess is the best way to say it when you are consuming them. So with gluten, there's like the zonulin release and even the glyphosate factor that can increase intestinal permeability. So when you're dealing with a compromised gut terrain and then still consuming those foods that does compromise your gut terrain, it's helpful to remove them. However, when you optimize the gut terrain and really heal and seal the gut lining, bringing back those foods like properly prepared gluten and things like raw dairy or high quality dairy can be really, really beneficial, but there's definitely the right time and the place for it. For sure. Yeah. And could you like also explain like the, just like the importance of like raw dairy and how it's just like not heated or like pasteurized and just like good quality meats too, just because I know people are like, I would just like, I guess diet culture, whatever, just like fears those things um, and tells everyone to like, just avoid them. Yeah, absolutely. So raw dairy, specifically A2, A2 dairy. And I don't know if I'm going to explain this completely right as we're talking about this. So take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Um, It is from more of like an ancestral based cow versus a conventional cow, or if you kind of thinking, think about it, like a crop, like a, a cow that has been modified in a sense to produce more milk where the, um, like when you're getting a one milk, a lot of people can technically, or not technically, a lot of people do tend to react to those types of milks and dairies when it's a conventionally raised cow versus a two can be extremely healing, um, and not as inflammatory as what the A1 cow. So it's more so like the dairy that we're meant to be consuming that can be really beneficial to us versus this very like industrialized dairy that, you know, they're pumping out milk and not necessarily feeding cows the way that they're meant to be fed. They're fortifying those milks because the nutrients in those milks has, have been destroyed through the through like the pasteurization and homogenization process, um, which is not necessarily how we're intended to drink milk. We're intended to drink milk in its raw unprocessed state. And that's where it's really going to benefit us versus when it's been so altered, a lot of the benefits to that dairy have kind of gone away and then people have a really hard time digesting them. Yeah. I didn't know that there was like a difference, I guess, between like, there's a special, not, not, I guess not special, but like a certain type of cow that's like more just like ancestral, like you would say, just more like, yeah, that like our ancestors, I guess, would like drink from, I guess, instead of like the conventional cow. Absolutely. And it's, it's really hard for me to explain. I've read about it a lot and I've done a lot of research and the the milk that we get from our local farmer is A2A2 milk. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's like the A1 milk and Mm -hmm. I don't completely understand it. So it's hard for me to explain, but definitely something that if you are looking to incorporate dairy, I would encourage people to do some research on A2 versus A1. For sure. Yeah. And could you also just talk about like the red meat, I guess, just because so many people are scared of that. Absolutely. So if you look at the nutrient profile of red meat, it's the most nutrient dense protein that you can get. Um, if you're looking at muscle meat, obviously organ meat's going to be the most nutrient dense meat you can consume. Um, I truly believe that it's been a scare tactic and a attempts to really promote the processed food industry by demonizing red meat. Um, if you go back and look at the studies by um, Ansel Keys that we go over in the NTA all the time, and 
there's really not the research to back up the demonization of saturated fat. And there's been a lot of studies that have been done and they've been swept under the rug. And even studies that have came out recently, like even the American Heart Association has acknowledged that saturated fat doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily damaging and it's not necessarily responsible for raising cholesterol like it has made out to be. However, they very quietly say that they don't, they still don't promote it. And it's still, if you go look on their website, it's still going to say things like you should be eating canola oil. You should be avoiding meat. You should be avoiding only, or you should be eating only like very lean meats, like turkey and chicken, red meat is just so bad for you and going to raise your cholesterol and cause cancer and all of these things. But when you look at the actual nutrient profile of what's in those meats, especially when they are properly raised, when they're animals that have been eating what they're intended to be eating versus things that factory farms feed their cows, it's very, very different. And it's just been very unfairly demonized. And a lot of people look at me with a raised eyebrow when I, when I tell them I'm a nutritionist, they always ask me if I'm vegan. They're like, oh, so you're vegan. And I'm like, no, I eat a lot of meat. I eat mostly, I pretty much for the most part, eat only meat and animal products. Um, so, I mean, obviously like there's fruits and stuff like that, that I eat, but it's just, it's just funny because people have this mindset of like, if you're healthy, you don't eat meat and you just eat tons and tons of vegetables and green juice. And I just, I really want to break that stigma, I guess. And that's something that I try to talk a lot about that, you know, meat has been very, very unfairly demonized. Hmm. For sure. Yeah. Especially here. I feel like on the West coast, maybe like, I feel like it's both like both like the west coast and east coast just like a lot more like people that really push the veganism for sure and so yeah it's very interesting just seeing like the beyond like meat burgers and stuff which is just like filled with like 20 plus ingredients and then you look at like red meat which is just literally just beef um the only (laughs) ingredient and the fact that people or it's pushed that beef is so harmful versus these things like canola oil and pea protein and soy protein isolate and all of the weird things that they put in there. Um, it's just crazy to me that that's what is viewed as health. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Could you just also talk about how just because something is like gluten, dairy, or like sugar-free does not mean it's more nutritious and how we should be looking for nutrients, um, not just foods that are like gluten and dairy-free, but just like looking more or so for like those nutrients. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot, something that I see really, that's really common is people want to shout off all these buzzwords Mm -hmm. that their food is free of all these things. And then that's viewed as healthy. However, we have to take a step back and say, what is this food actually doing for my body? Or what does this have to offer me rather than being free? We need so many micronutrients and macronutrients to give our to tell our bodies essentially what to do and how to function and give it the nutrients it needs, how to function. And most of these foods that you're finding in stores that are labeled gluten-free or dairy-free have none of that. Um, So I always encourage people when they are, you know, exploring something like maybe they need to do dairy-free for a while, or maybe dairy just doesn't agree with them or certain types of dairy don't agree with them, or they need to go on a gut healing protocol and they're maybe doing like a GI map and eradicating things and they have not the best gut terrain, right now they need to be gluten-free um to explore a naturally gluten-free diet or a naturally dairy-free diet um, versus buying into all these food like products i guess is the best way to say it Mm -hmm. 
So if you think of something like chicken and a sweet potato, that's gluten-free, but then there's also gluten-free chicken nuggets that you can buy in the freezer section. Those are both gluten-free, but they're very, very different things. And they have very different things to offer your body. One could be detrimental. One can be very um, nutrient dense and nourishing to your body. Yeah. Yeah. I find it just like so interesting. I feel like before, I guess I was like in the NTA, I started just like playing around because like my digestion wasn't great. And I obviously didn't know like what an NTP was. And so like, I started like removing different things, but like still would feel better for like a little bit. Like I don't know, like the first like two weeks. And then after like, you just don't feel great again. Um, Just because like you remove it for like a short period of time, but you're not getting to like the root of like, like you were saying like before, like like yes you can like do a protocol like when you're doing like a GI map protocol or whatever you know but you're you're really trying to heal and seal the gut at that point you're not just removing things like sugar dairy gluten like whatever or grains um but you're really trying to get to like that that root cause of like why like your gut is having issues like in the first place exactly so I know a little while ago you shared a big truth bomb where you said if your healing diet is stressing you out, it's not healing you. Could you just talk a little bit more about healing diets and how at times they can do more harm than good? Absolutely. So I have to start by saying that I do think there's a time and the place for certain healing diets. Like, as I mentioned before, I followed the walls protocol. It mm-hmm. served a big purpose in my life. However, there's a lot of stress that comes along with those diets and there's pressure to be perfect. And if you don't do it perfectly, then you've completely failed. And then it results in obsessiveness around food and it causes a big stress hormone release. For the longest time, I shrugged off stress and said it wasn't a big deal. And really, truly the only thing that really affects my health is the foods that I'm eating and being perfect. And, you know, meeting all of the, checking all of these boxes in my diet that I have to accomplish. And if I wasn't eating perfectly or I wasn't seeing the results that I wanted to see, then I would just get more restrictive and try to explore a new healing diet and see if that was the right answer for me. I had this mindset of, am I on the right healing diet or am I not? type thing. So, so I realized the significant impact that stress has on your body. And it's really a lot of times the root cause of what's going on. So we really can't continue to just brush off stress and act like it's not a big deal because when you have this chronic release of stress hormones, you're burning through all the nutrients that your body needs for other processes to happen. So your digestion shuts off, um, fertility is not prioritized and when your digestion's not working right, every single thing else just doesn't work right either. And you're not absorbing nutrients and your body doesn't have what it needs to function properly. So minimizing stress is huge. So we need to take a step back from those diets and really think, is it, is the diet right for us? And how much stress is that diet causing ourselves? Um, and kind of just reevaluate it based on your body's stress response and if it's the right time or if it's even the right strategy at all. And sometimes asking for help instead of trying to DIY everything and just figure it out on your own can be so much more beneficial and it can really alleviate a lot of the stress. It can actually be a lot less restrictive when you do get help because you focus on the things that you really need to focus on. And then there's a lot of BS associated with all of these um healing diets a lot of times that, you know, maybe you don't have to do all of those things. Maybe it doesn't have to be so extreme. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. And I think with nutrition, people 
think like it's just diet and that's it um like what you eat and stuff but like there's so much more to the picture like your mental health your stress um just like exercising I can list so many others I'm just going blank so like there's so many others you know that come into play that like your family relationships like with friends and stuff you know um it's not just like diet and what you eat and of course there, there is a time and a place for like healing dyes and stuff but yeah like you said if it's causing more stress then it you know then it's not working as well as it should be and then yeah just like I feel like it goes downhill from there absolutely nutrition's definitely important but it's also you have to keep in mind that it's a piece of the puzzle it's not mm-hmm. it's not the only thing and if that's the only thing that you're focusing on and you're ignoring your relationships with people and how stress this is causing you and the fact that you're spending so much time thinking about food that you don't have time for movement and you don't see the sun, that's a really big problem. And you just kind of need to reevaluate what's important to you and what you really need to prioritize. For sure. So what are some of your favorite um, gut healing foods slash tips? Okay. So this is talked about a lot. And I was thinking about this when you sent me this question. I really think protein is so, um, People don't really recognize it as a gut healing food, but it is so important because stomach acid is such an important part of gut health and just getting digestion to work correctly and our body functioning as a whole. And when we don't have stomach acid, your gut's not going to be in a good place. Or when you're not producing enough stomach acid, your gut's not going to be in a good place. And protein is broken down by stomach acid. But if you think about it in the other way, Stomach acid is something that if you don't use it, you lose it in a sense. So if you're not, if you're not eating protein, your body's not really going to be producing stomach acid. And then your body becomes susceptible to all these pathogens. And then even more things start to kind of surface because you're not digesting, you're not breaking down food the way it's meant to be. And then that leads to things like leaky gut because your body's so desperate for nutrients at that point that then your food's escaping into your bloodstream and then it's causing systemic inflammation and then sometimes even an immune response. So protein is so incredibly important. I don't think people think about that. They think about all the greens that they can eat and all of the supplements they can take and all of the extra things they can add in. When you really need protein, you need bioavailable zinc to be able to make that stomach acid. So that was something that I just think it's not talked about enough. And that's one of my favorite gut healing foods, because it's something that, you know, if you do have enough stomach acid, it's something that is easy to digest um, and doesn't really negatively affect the gut terrain um, or digestion if your gut is functioning optimally, obviously. Um, But it really helps to optimize that gut terrain too. Um, So things like red meat are great. Organ meats are great. Oysters are excellent. Um, So those types of foods are my favorite gut healing foods. That's good. Yeah. I feel like I hadn't really thought about that either, but yeah, like the stomach acid, like we need that. Cause like, obviously if you don't eat the meat, then like where you, how your how is your body like going to get that stomach acid? Right. Like, and then, like you said, you get like bacteria infections, like H. pylori or like candida yeast, like whatever starts to like grow in there. Of course, like our stomachs like already have those, like we, we all have them. Right. But like when they get, when they get overpopulated, <laughs> They, they thrive and they continue yeah. to grow and yeah. then they became a problem when when you've created the perfect environment for a pathogen to thrive then it's going to be a problem versus when you're exposed to it and you have 
that stomach lighting aspect and that protective aspect and a properly functioning digestive system, those pathogens aren't going to thrive in that environment. And another thing too, with meat, when you eat it off the bone, how you're meant to be eating most meats, when it comes in the bone, hasn't been taken out, it is really rich in gelatin, which is, we know is really, really good for mucosal lining support too. Sure. Yeah. I feel like gelatin, I don't know. I feel like people think about it and they're just like, so is it just crushed up bones or whatever? But it, like, <laughs> it has like so many benefits, just like you can eat like gummies with it. Like, I'm sure you like do that, right? Like, like yeah. gummies or whatever, or like marshmallows, like, you know, just like so many benefits because I've heard that it um, offsets, I guess the balance, like there's something in like muscle meats that it like offsets. Like, do you know about that? Or I can't So remember. like, yeah, so we get a uh, imbalance in the amino acids. So um gelatin has a really high, it's higher in glycine, which yeah. is the, it works as kind of like an anti-inflammatory amino acid because our culture now eats so many muscle meats and it doesn't eat broth and we don't eat meat off the bone. We don't eat gelatin. So then it becomes an imbalance of amino acids. So when you do start incorporating things like broth and gelatin, then you start getting those amino acids back into balance. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I love that. What is one thing that you do to live nourished? Absolutely. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about stress. Um, And like I mentioned, nutrition is a small piece of the puzzle. So one thing that I do is really prioritizing, having fun, doing things to de-stress, getting outside, seeing the sunlight, going for walks. Even though I'm a nutritionist, the one thing that I do, I would feel like is learning not to focus so much on food. Um, obviously making it a big part of my life. And yeah, I love nourishing my body and feeding my body good food, but not making it all about food and making sure that I am living life and enjoying it and um, nourishing relationships and just kind of nourishing the body as a whole, like the mind, body, soul um, versus just focusing on just the food like I used to. For sure. No, I love that. I love like, you know, just doing things that like you love and like that you enjoy and that, yeah, like we are nutritionists, but like, you don't always have to be thinking about like food 24 seven, because if you did, it's just, you know, just like takes over your life. So it's really important to like, still like enjoy your life and still do things that, um, that you like to do. Absolutely. So where can everyone find you and connect with you? So I am most active, I would say on Instagram, they can follow me on my Instagram handle. It's hobo wellness. And I always have to tell people when I say that my Instagram handle is hobo wellness, it's Holly Bowen shortened up because yeah. a lot of people don't catch that at all. And they're like, what? When I tell them about that, but it's Holly Bowen, just like a shortened, shortened. Yeah. You would not believe all of the Holly Bowen Instagram accounts out there. I thought I could make like just my name be an Instagram handle. No. So oh. So that's how, that's how hobo wellness came about, but that's where you can find me. And I always love connecting with people in the DMs. So feel free to shoot me a message um, and connect. I would absolutely love to hear from anybody who's listening. That'd be really cool. Sure. And do you have a website as well? I do. It's hollybowenwellness.com. I, I just have redone it in the past few months. So it's very minimal right now but I do have a website and my ebook is on there and I hope to post content on there soon, but I have to just take some small baby steps. I don't have the same amount of time as I used to have now that I have a little guy at home. So I have to be kind to myself and know that it will come eventually. But right now it's, it's a pretty um, minimalistic website is the best way I can describe it. Okay. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Holly. You're, you just have so much knowledge and yeah, I love chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. I was so excited to come on.